Hey everybody, it is Chris Aiken from Aftershocks TV and the Classic Metal Show. And if you think you're ready to make a podcast of your own, then it is time that you discover Anchor. That's right, Anchor is out there. It is free. Uh, There's creation tools on the site that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episode. So you can have music in your episodes if you want. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world has never heard before. Anchor will distribute the podcast for you as well, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a bunch more. Here's another good feature. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor is great, it's very cool, and it is what we use right here at the CMS Network. is the classic metal show right here on heavy metal television and this guy that we're going to speak to next he certainly knows a little thing or two about heavy metal he's got a great and i do mean great new release called blacklist utopia it's out on october the 29th you know him from damn near every metal band of the last 30 years because he's been in them all he is the one and only david reese david how are you man oh oh, 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 oh. i'm here baby what's happening chris nice to see you again yeah, good to see you too, man. And great record, man. I, as I was telling you before we started, it's you make it very easy to do this because I don't have to. I don't have to find the words to pretend I like something that I don't. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I I believe your sincerity. I mean, it uh, it's it's a natural progression from cacophony of souls. I think sure um, took advantage of that uh, imprisonment we all suffered from last year. Right. Well, and, and that's that's the thing, too, is, you know, I, I've over the past probably four or five months, I've gotten a slew of records, which have all been written in the pandemic. And almost every one of them is depressing on an Alice in Chains type of a level because everybody was depressed. This is not I mean, there there's some songs on here that definitely you could tell that you were rattling the windows because you were pissed off about being home. But, but for the most part, this, I mean, at least musically, this is a, this is a fun metal record. It's not the kind that you'll, that you'll come out of and be all depressed and bummed. Thank you. I mean, it, uh, lyrically there, there's some deep stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I went through, you know, cacophony was released on the 13th of March, 2020. And I had the big release party that, weekend and i think it was the saturday prior to that that the village in um, my area was where the first explosion happened here in italy and uh i think by that following friday the 13th i had 20 shows canceled uh i went i didn't even want to open my email every day i fell into a dark space dude i thought well this is temporary man it'll blow over in a couple months and it just got worse and worse. And so when you say about it being an up, upbeat kind of metal album, Andy Susamil, the guitar player, was doing his solo thing, recording a solo album. And Meltzer, the bassist, said, well, no time like the present. Let's write an album. And I said, you're writing? And he said, yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff and nobody ever wants to listen to it because I'm just a bass player. I said, send me a couple tracks. Okay. So he sent me, I think, uh, to the core saved me in hindsight and I went, holy fuck, this guy can fucking write. And he, I mean, he grew up on Metallica, Megadeth, you know, the real heavy shit and the goth era. He's about 10 years younger than me. Okay. Well, it was cool because he brought a lot of that real dark, heavy stuff in and those riffs. And it just, I mean, it came right out of the pen on the paper, you know, and there was a lot to write about brother. I mean, a lot going on in my head. I I would imagine, man. I mean, it's, it's been a tough time, 
But, you know, I, I think and if you look at it as just a picture of the moment, yeah, it, it was a tough time to write a record. It's a tough time to be a musician, really, you know. Mm. But if you look at if you look at this record over like a three record arc, if you go from Resilient Heart and Cacophony and this, you've really found a groove for yourself that I would argue is is maybe the tightest it's been since since you've been re- a recording artist or at least a wow. known recording artist. I mean, may- maybe it's just because you've done three records in a row under the same umbrella. But I, you know, I, I just you know it's it's really tough being in a band, bro. It's tough being yeah. a hired guy, and it you know you're writing for their sound, and and I spent a lot of years you know trying to emulate Coverdale and Paul Rogers. You know, I kind of didn't have that identity thing going, you know, and and then I, I my manager uh, said, I don't know what you're doing. He said, you got to go back to Ecstasy and D Train because that's what you're you're known for. That Accept sure. album. He said, go heavy. Get away mm-hmm. from the blues rock, hard rock stuff. Everybody's done it in their mother. So that's kind of where it seems to have grown from. Sure. You know, I don't have to kind of write in that uh, record company slot they put you in, mm-hmm. that market. Sure. Because I don't care anymore. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to write what I want to write. And I think that's the freedom of it. And I, I appreciate you noticing that and the compliment because – Everybody has said that to me, actually. And vocally, they say I'm singing better than I did in the last 10 years. And I don't know what it is, but maybe it's the freedom. I don't know. But it, it just seems like you're enjoying what you're doing more. You know, like like even I remember when I interviewed you for um, what Sainted Sinners and and you were you were kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, you were you were given given the the right words, but it just didn't seem like you were as into it as you've been these last couple. I wasn't, especially on the second album. I didn't like the second album. I mean, I, I really tried to like the album. I thought the first album we did was pretty good, but extenuating circumstances, once again, you know, that so-called democracy that you live in, in a band that never existed. I don't care who you are. It's not true. Sure. Uh, You can have partnerships, but there's no such thing. Um, So I, I was, you're right. I was, I was, I was a lot of lip, was lip service, but I had a record to promote and I'm not going to say it sucked, you know, oh, yeah. for the fans. I mean, it's funny because it came out of the box and did like uh, the second one uh, back with a vengeance did 600 copies, like in the first three days. Right. And the record company told me it just stopped. He goes, we thought, wow, this one's taken off. Right. And he goes, it literally after like three or four days just stopped at 600. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, really? I was on the Udo tour and I, they came out to see me and were saying, you should come back to the label. And I'm like, nah, I ain't doing no Santa Center stuff anymore. I'm doing this Reese thing. And I go, how did uh, Vengeance do? And he looked at me, he goes, it was, we were jumping up and down going, hey, we got something here. And I thought, that record did that good? And he goes, no, dude, but it stopped. Wow. So take it as it is. I mean, it's the market. It's uh, Maybe people were just excited because they liked the first album so much. They just bought it and then they realized, hey, this isn't so good. And the word got out. It wasn't as good as the first. Right. You know? Sure. Well, and and it's tough to tell these days because sales are so different. You know, I mean, I mean, what does a sale mean now? You know, a sale basically means that somebody is a very hardcore fan of somebody in the band. It doesn't mean necessarily that they like the music. It's not. It's not like the old days where we would hear two or three songs on the radio and 1.2 million people would buy a record in a week. You know, yeah. you got to really be a hardcore fan anymore, it seems like, to buy a record, no? And it's, and it's I mean, by the week, I can't tell you how many people tell me, um, the wife said, we're going to make that room, your man cave into blah, blah, blah now. So right. get rid of that 20,000 CDs you got and put them all on a, a streaming service or whatever. Sure. So a lot of guys are going, man, I had to make space. And the, but then I've got the diehard, you know, the truest, the people mm-hmm. that said, no, nope, I want, I want to hold it and look at it, play it. Um, so I hear that. Um, but you're right. I'm blessed with that. I mean, I have, I have people from 1988 that still sure. buy my records and, and they'll criticize me. They'll write me and say, yeah, I'm not hearing Dave, but I'll still support you. But the last three or four years, it's been, Real consistent, you know, and, sure. uh, and I, you can't take that for granted, but 
I mean, a record company is going to tell you how many records they sold because they make that number up. Right. They're not going to tell you because they got to pay you. Mm-hmm. And you can say, hey, remember when you emailed me that and said we did, you know, 2,600 copies that month? Oh, we never said that. Yeah, you did. Well, that was a clerical mistake. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, I can't even believe that I'm saying a successful record is 2,600 copies anymore. That one behind me on the wall is that's 500,000. Sure. And in those days, if you didn't get a 500,000, I mean, they barely talked to you yeah. in the late 80s at 500,000. If you didn't do a million they, on the second one, you were done. Yeah. No, it's it's crazy. I, I'll tell you, I, I talked to um, Kevin Martin from Candlebox, uh, I don't know, a week or two ago, and obviously a different style of music. But he, um, I, I mentioned to him that every release that he's ever done has charted. And, and I, and, but then I pointed out to him, well, charting on the first record was 3 million copies. Yep. Charting on the last record was like four thousand copies. Yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy. It it's almost to the point that charting, quote unquote, charting or or sales don't make sense. And I don't know. I don't know if you agree, but I have never understood why everybody still puts their music on the full album anyway on the streaming service, whether it's Spotify or. YouTube or wherever. It just seems, it seems like you guys would put four songs out and then say, Hey, if you want the rest, come and buy it. And then maybe even sell it for five bucks or whatever. You license a deal to a label. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of people don't know with streaming services is those platforms are paying the labels to license my music. So they're getting an advance. But when we see the end of the cookie crumble, it's a tiny little, you know, on the table wrap chunk that gets given to the artist, but the labels are still making money, even though they're not putting plastic together uh, by licensing our music, our work to these streaming platforms. Now you can do it on your own. Sure. And you know, I I know a lot of guys that are doing it and I'll get into that later in this conversation, but um, there's guy, but if you want to spend your day glued to the uh, internet and reaching out to get your customers to purchase and blah, da, 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 and pay for the licensing yourself and all that stuff. You better be prepared to go to work. Right. You know, and it's coming to that, you know, it, it really is. I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's hard on me. If I have to write songs and record, I was in the studio all day today and I, I I've been on the phone before I talked to you for two hours sure. with another guitar player. I mean, there's only so many hours in the day and I got a wife and kids. Right. And a dog. And, but you're saying uh, release four songs. I think it's a singles market is, is, sure. is the future, you know, get out there and get a taste of it. But one thing that I, I do know is bands are buying views on YouTube. I mm-hmm. find that ridiculous. It's embarrassing. Hey, look, I got 500,000 views. You know why? Cause <laughs> you're using fake names and you're paying for it. Right. Or you're, you're subscribing to it with a fake name and different profiles and you can buy 10,000 likes or views, for, you know, for 50 euros. You can buy 100,000 for, you know, 100 euros. It right. doesn't mean that people are actually looking at it. Right. So no, then I right. look at the video spectrum where it used to be you go to Marty Kallner or someone like that and you'd pay him 100 grand to shoot a video and it would be played on the top 30, hard 30 with Ricky Rackman. Remember? Right. Mm-hmm. You had a hit and then you went out and you, we promoted that single, but by the time you finished that record, you spent two or $3 million that you had to recoup. Right. Now I don't think that videos are as necessarily important to promote records because you go to YouTube, there's like 500 little bizarre videos every 10 seconds. And I can't keep my hand in my brain on how many bands there are. Sure. Well, and a big part of that too, though, is because there's not a centralized platform to to promote anymore you know there's there's not an mtv there's and and that to me i i still can't figure out why nobody has picked that ball up because it just see i i know there's youtube and you can pick whatever you want but let's face it when we were in the 80s we didn't want just whatever we wanted we wanted to be fed what were new bands at the time whether it was except or motley crew or you know you know those bands weren't known poison whoever it was no one knew who they were. They were the new bands. 
and, and the spaceman putting the flag in. I mean, remember that when it came yeah. out? It was like, what in the hell is this? Yeah. And, and I mean, I'd, I'd spend hours staring at MTV. It was kind of like my my news program. It's on the television with the volume down. It just so I have some type of visual going sure. on while my brain's. I always explain my brain is like a box full of squirrels that are storing nuts. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's from the cocaine abuse in the 80s or what, but I've got this like deranged thing where they're all storing their little products and ideas, you know, in my head. So I have to have all these weird things going on at the same time to make anything work. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, well, David, let's let's pull it back around to the record a little bit. Um, all right. Obviously, you worked with um, – Andy, once again, you know, as a musician, writing partner, et cetera. What is it about him that you connect so tightly with creatively? I don't know, dude. I mean, I when I met him, we met at Dirk Studios in, in 87 or 88. He was doing Mean Machine. I was doing Eat the Heat. And we were like the black sheep of the family. Gabby Halka, who is now Gabby Hoffman, you know, was always the den mother. You, know, you can't uh -huh. do this. You can't go there. You can't chase these girls. You can't drink this much. And him and I would run off to the pub and get, you know, crap faced and talk about how much this is bizarre. This isn't rock and roll. This is, this is fucking business, man. Right. But at the time we didn't realize that that's what it really was. You know, you can't get shit faced and go do your job. So I don't know. We just kind of connected and then I hadn't seen him for years. And, and it was weird because I was in LA like during after except. And so was he. And we were haunting the same places with the same people, and we never crossed paths. He was there seven years. I came back to Germany. I was at a Halloween party, and somebody grabbed me by the back. And I don't like that very much. I don't know about you. And somebody grabs no. me. I spun around, and mm -hmm. it was Andy smiling at me going, Happy Halloween. What are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, dude. So we just have this, like. I don't know. It's just that it's it's like I don't I can go without speaking to that dude for like a year or so. Right. I can pick up the phone and say, "Hey, you ready to write some song?" Yeah, why not? And <laughs> he goes, "Send me some words. I need something to write to." And I'll send him a story. It just kind of works. And sure. he's he's production value of the guy. The guy is a producer. He's amazing. I mean, and and all the time that he spends his guitar playing, number one is probably what I love about him. He's got Gary Moore, he's got Shanker, he's got all those guys, but he's also got Andy Susamil mm -hmm. in his style. And if you listen to this album, you really hear it. Uh, you know, the, the, just the accuracy, the notes, the vibrato, the tones. He he has like three amplifiers running into one and all this crazy shit at home in the studio. And, you know, he's really worked on that sound for years. And, he's, and it's criminally underrated as a guitar player because... In UDO, I thought he was better than Matthias Deep. I just liked his emotional feel. Because mm -hmm. I like a Michael Schenker kind of guitar player anyways. Sure. But Andy's also a great singer. He can arrange melodies. And that's why I just trust him. I just throw it at him and say, here, mix it. Sure. I was actually in Denmark when he was mixing the album. And I was doing a roofing job for a big company. And I have a day job because the way the business is. I was running sure. our tar roofs. And... Uh, when I got the masters, I was like, yep, he did it again. Sure. You know? Well, and, and what's unique about him is that he doesn't sound the same from from artist to artist he's worked for. And I'll point to the UDO stuff. I, I find the UDO stuff to be very, I'm going to say mechanized or metalized yeah. or something, you know, where the stuff with you, a lot warmer, a lot more, lot more organic sounding, doesn't sound yeah. like it was cut with a chisel. You know, yeah. and and that's that's pretty amazing for a guitar player to, you know, I mean, the virtuoso guys, if you think about them, they all sound the same. It's all boom, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. they, they all sound the same. And, yeah. And, and the same with kind of the rock guys, you know, the rock guys all kind of three chord riff, you know, mm -hmm. with a little solo mixed in. Andy yeah. has a very different style from band to band anyway, which is very refreshing to hear. Yeah, and it's criminally underrated that he, I mean, he, you ought to hear the guy play country music. He's <laughs> wow. a German. The guy can play country music. He was actually in L.A. working with some famous country guy. I can't remember the name, playing guitar for him. And the guy was like, where did you come from? And he just playing an old Strat and a Les Paul and going, well, wow. I listened to this as a kid. And, you know, um, yeah, he's got he's got all those colors, you know, and, and that's what makes him so great. 
I mean, you know, we, we butt heads. We're like brothers. I mean, but we never, ever hold an anger issue or a grudge against one another. It never lasts. Like he refuses to be vaccinated. Okay. Absolutely refuses it. Doesn't want to be tested, which means Andy's not going to tour with me. I right. mean, it's just the way we can't leave the country without this damn passport. Sure. And he said, forgive me, but I, I can't, I don't, I can't accept it and I'm not doing it. I said, okay, Andy, but I'm going to have to replace you on stage. I'm going to hate it. And he goes, I know, but I'm not going there. Right. He's very, he's staunch in his beliefs of what he wants to do. And I, I didn't want to get it either, but I know the game. I got to play it. Uh, I, I could tell you the horror story about that as I just got out of the hospital with it for, for, you know, three weeks ago. So you got, you, know. you had COVID. Oh yeah. COVID and oh, pneumonia and had to be hospitalized for a week. Jesus, you're all right now. Yeah, 80% maybe, you know, still a little short of breath, but whatever. It's not, not too bad. So that pneumonia will knock you on your ass, dude. That'll hold on to you for for months. You don't have to tell me, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I know about it. It's awful. But well, dude, one song in in particular that I wanted to talk to you about on um, Blacklist Utopia, because it's, it's, really showcasing you and I don't know if it's on purpose or just where you were, but what I'll say is probably the most different approach I've ever heard you do, which is down to the core, the, the, the early parts. I mean, the, when you get to the chorus parts, it's kind of your natural voice, but the, the lead ins lower tone, little more mean or evil, or I don't know how to put it exactly, but it was a sound that I was not used to hearing from your music. And so I wanted to ask you, did you try to do something different or did it just kind of organically grow that way? It's, it's a weird thing because I've gone back to uh, a lot of, it's going to be nuts to say this, but I like Iggy pop. I like David Bowie a lot. Um, I mean, I listened to those guys and I kind of went over my head. I always liked Bowie the most, but it went over my head as how great he was. Sure. When he sang, you know, jive, stumble into town, just like a sacred cow. Visions of swastikas in my head. I mean, have you listened to that tone? It's mm-hmm. kind of jazzy. And then I listen to guys like George Jones, and I listen to Frank Sinatra. And I said, you know what? Why am I screaming in the top of my register at 61 years old? There's got to be something down here that I haven't really been playing with. And when I started, like if I'm rehearsing at home, I sing low. So then okay. that song just called for that. Um, if if you listen to um, there's a song on uh, resilient heart, what is it? Live, live before you die. Mm-hmm. You know it's low. I started. I've been doing that for the last three albums. Each album has two or three that have the sure, and then I build it into that big, you know, stratosphere course, and then I come mm-hmm. back down. It's it's, it's kind of nice, you know. Show yeah. off what you got and and save your voice at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> A little easier in the studio, and it still yeah. sounds good. <laughs> yeah, you can still speak when you come home. So Exactly. So the other one, obviously, the first single that you gave everybody was I Can't Breathe. So yeah. talk a little bit about that song and why it was chosen as the, the feature track. Okay, uh, the whole George Floyd thing, um, I don't condone that at all. Sure. Uh, watching three cops stand around with a guy with a knee in his neck. The guy died. Terrible. That's my old neighborhood. Okay. Uh, I grew up about, well, I didn't grow up there. I was born in Oklahoma, but I spent a lot of time in the south side of Minneapolis and literally in in a house about five minutes from where all that went down. So to watch my neighborhood where I used to walk to get my milk and my beer and my cigarettes and live my life in the peaceful little neighborhood burning to the ground really got to me. And my Mm -hmm. aunt has got polio and she's in a wheelchair full time and she can't leave the house pretty much as it is anyways, but I didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a lot of friends in Minnesota. Um, and then this whole political, you're either with us or you're against us. So then let's get into this blacklist utopia. You know, I don't agree with, you know, what they did or what he did or anything. I, I think the whole thing was a terrible situation as the kettle was starting to boil. But if you don't follow that woke agreeing that with all those people, you're automatically put into this blacklist. Right. If they don't come over to the people that think kind of like me, they're put into a blacklist. 
So my dream was one night was what utopia are we lo- really looking to achieve? Say, yeah, this is what we've been waiting for, honey. There you are. So we lose, we, we get to that so-called utopia that everybody's seeking. Will they be satisfied? Mm-hmm. People aren't satisfied with anything. But right. I can't breathe lyrically is a spoof, not because he says I can't breathe. It's because I'm getting choked to death every day I wake up with what I'm hearing on social media. Um, a guy like Dave Chappelle, you know, what happened to him two days ago. God yeah. bless him. But they're eating his ass for just saying every human being came out between a woman's legs. It is fact. But yeah. because he just kind of brought it up, it's a sensitive issue. They're out to get him. And I know he did it on purpose. It, it got everybody's ear. I mean, it's he's a genius. But mm-hmm. it's basically, I can't breathe because I'm just, you know, I don't care what you do at home. I don't care what you believe in. I, I mean, just be nice and treat each other cool, yeah. you know, and, and I, we'll, be, we'll be a better planet. You know, I don't agree mm-hmm. with all this can't eat all this red meat and all this crap. I mean, quit pushing it down my throat. Yeah. And it's, no, you're, I mean, you're right. I'm in the entertainment business, dude. And I mean, literally last year, a major magazine called me a racist uh, <laughs> because they had a, a, an African-American writer who had been in a chat box and found out that I do have conservative issues and values that I Mm -hmm. I espouse to. And automatically, because I have those, I was called a racist. And somehow I had to write to this editor and he was saying, you need to write an apology. And I said, I'll apologize for nothing. One, 90% of my family is mixed race, which pretty much everybody's family is now. Right. I've got Native American blood in my in my veins. Um, my daughter, my granddaughter, is Blackfoot Indian half. I mean, so I don't know where it came from. It was just somebody found that word mm-hmm. that they wanted to see, and yeah. went on the attack dog. So that's where I can't breathe comes from. Okay. Yeah, it's it's you know I I talk about this all the time. I I just so hate cancel culture, like like you and everybody else does, and. You know, the big thing I I always point to is maybe 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, but we just didn't talk about politics. We didn't talk about if, if, if I never knew any of my friends politics, I never knew if they were conservative or Democrat or whatever. And if, if you touched on something that was sensitive to your friends, you were like, ah, well, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about which Iron Maiden album was better or whatever, you know? You just focused on the things that you did get along with. Yeah, you, when you hung out with your brothers, yeah. it was you were going out to the club or you're going to a big show because you all loved Maiden or Priest. Yeah, and and if you guys had an argument, it was usually because somebody had to pay more for beer or had more cigarettes. Right. But it was always that's what I'm saying. It's terribly sad that mm-hmm. that magic has been sucked out of our heads. Yeah, and we're so poisoned by this cancel culture that I think it's affecting music. I think it's affecting everything. Sure is. And no, you're right. Is. You made it, you hit it on the head. I mean, I played with guys that I've learned now back in the eighties that are super liberal. I had no idea how they, how they thought they went to very liberal colleges in Ohio and places like that came back with a different viewpoint. Now we don't, they won't even speak to me. And we were like blood brothers, man. Sure. Like you said, we didn't talk about our politics. We smoked weed together. We played gigs together. We rode in a car for thousands of miles, mm-hmm. argued about everything but politics. Right. Politics and religion. They were off limits. You That's just didn't right. talk about that stuff. That's you know, right. It's, I, I'll, I'll say it. And you'll probably agree with me. It's social media. Everybody yeah. now, because they get three likes, they think that they're an expert on everything and that that everybody's listening to what they have to say, you know, and, and to your point where you were saying it's affected music, it has affected music because two reasons. One, too many of these guys are throwing their opinions out to alienate half their audience. That's the yep. first thing. And the you second, know why? cause they're scared. They want to stay up there yeah. in, the, in the limelight. And they say, if they're afraid, if they really speak how they really think mm-hmm. they're done. Yeah, that that you know, here today, gone later today, is real prevalent right now. 
Sure, it definitely is, but it's going to bite them later because this stuff, when the pendulum always shifts from one side to the other, and when it goes the other way, it's going to be just like this, like John Gruden thing this week. When it goes the other way, well, all these opinions that you had that were pro-liberal or hard left liberal are going to swing back and people are going to alienate you. It's yeah. it's the way the world always works. What is, it's, it's like this, what social media has seemed to have done. I watched this guy named Boots O'Neill. I'm, I love cowboy stuff. I like okay. ranch. I like rodeo. And, sure. And he's was 90, going to be 90 years old. And he's they are saying, what, what has changed in your life? What do you see? Well, them things you carry around called telephone. Never thought that I could carry it and go outside and call somebody. I used to ride a horse looking for a bull. Right. And then you'd ride back and say, did you find him? Now I can call you or give you a little app and say, he's right here. And you right. can follow it and find him. He said, but the worst thing about it was I like to visit and talk. And he goes, I was at the dinner table and I was at the end. And there were 15 or so cowboys sitting on the table looking at their iPhones, eating their beans and eating cornbread. And I'd had nobody look at me and say a word. Their eyes were glued to their phone. We've lost the intimacy mm-hmm. of, of human contact. Sure. Which is music, which is theater, which is uh, movies. Look at movies. Yeah. How many people, you know, go to the drive-in? How many people go out to the theater? We got one here in our village in, in uh, Piacenza, Italy, which is kind of cool. They get all the happening ones. But I've been in there and there's 20, 30 people. Sure. You can get it on Netflix. You, can, you don't even have to leave your house. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it, and people don't want to, the, the, you know, it's, it's kind of like what we were saying before about, you know, how you're lucky that your fans still buy physical product. Well, it's because yeah. they're older, the, the younger, the, the, the young kids to the, well, I'll say 30, the last 10 years of that yep. were kids. They don't know value of music. They don't know value of movies. You know, if it's not on their iPhone, it doesn't exist to them. It's the same reason they don't want full albums because they don't have any value to that. They don't, they don't listen. Like we listen to Led Zeppelin four start to finish over and over and over. We never popped it in and forwarded the tape to going to California or something. It was just put it on at song one, listen till the end and you grew with it and you, it became part of you. It exactly. Be, and when and you now, could not wait to get to the drum sound of when the levy breaks. Right. And go, Oh my God, I'm in it right now. I mean, this is, it, you're in it. You were in yeah. it. And when you got killers from Iron Maiden and when you got except restless and wild and they were doing the Heidi Ho thing and that scratch of the record and that scream by Udo, everybody on the couch put down the bong and looked at each other going, what the fuck is right. this? Exactly. You know, I mean, and that's all you talked about, man. Uh-huh. I mean, it's like I drove my some of my non-music friends crazy because I would analyze UFO albums. Sure. I, would anal- I would look into the like those singers and those guitar players like they were special. Uh-huh. And we don't do that anymore. Like we talked oh. about Andy earlier. I mean, there's guys out there that deserve to be recognized. Uh-huh. And this shit is sucking our brains dry. Sure. No, you're right. And and we cared so much about the music back then that it wasn't even the musicians all the time. It was like the producers. I, I can't tell you how many records I bought because it said produced by Bo Hill or Ted Templeman or, yep. you know, or, you know, the, the various guys that were popular then. Right, right now, yeah. I couldn't even tell you who's a producer. I have yep. no idea. And I'm you in the it. business. You know, that's they're sitting, around, they're sitting around right now behind a laptop like you and me. Yeah, exactly. and they're buying Pro Tools 10, 11, 12, 13. What is it up to 20 now with yeah, different plugins? Mm-hmm. And a guy like Andy Sneap, he's one of the true metal guys still around, you know, doing sure. Priest and doing Accept. He's like the go to guy. And the Dennis Wards and all those guys that were kind of been around for 30, 40 years, mm-hmm. they were at the hierarchy of Mutt Lang or Dieter Dirks or, you know, sure. Jimbo Barton at Queens, right? And, and those guys, I mean, you had, they were almost as famous as the band. Absolutely. Yeah. And to be signed and get to just sit down in a room with those guys and go, you know, have a producer like Mutt Lang look at you and say, uh, nah, when you're ready to be a rock and roll star, write me some better songs and walk out of the room. And, you know, you're the guy's asking a million bucks to do your record and looks at you and goes, you ain't ready yet. 
Right. And you're like, how fucking dare you? And, and it would devastate you. Sure. You know, and then you go, okay, go pick up my guitar and go sit down and write a better song and then come in and go, I didn't. You go, oh, yeah, you're kind of getting it now. Let's work on this album, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's you're amazing. Right. They, they were so much a part of it. You know, I, I interviewed Max Norman, I don't know, a year or two ago, and it was fascinating just hearing how he talked about little nuances that average fans don't get, like how he was in the studio with Megadeth and he kept moving the drums around because the delay, and you know as well as I do, the delay is so minute that none of us would hear it, but he heard it. And that's how he ended up making perfect albums was he was so attention to detail oriented and, and you can't argue that when you, when you see the proof in the pudding, the Aussie records and the Megadeth, you know, I mean, he did, he, he produced Bangalore choir on target. Yeah. He told me the Aussie story sitting in a room with Randy Rhodes, just his mouth hanging open going, who is this kid? And then <laughs> being in the studio with Aussie and punching in every word because he couldn't sing a whole verse. And he goes, after 12 hours in a room with Aussie, it's like you're in a giant egg and it's like you're on you're on a spaceship in, in another void. And he goes, but it's so cool. You're standing there with Ozzy, you know, like he would say, was that good? Yes. Double it. And they go back and double the word and then sing another word. Good. Right. And he goes, 12, 15 hours of this is maddening. But, hey, I'm in a room with Ozzy, you know. Right. Sure. And, so, and then at the but and then the final product sold six million copies, eight million copies, go. whatever it was. Groundbreaking. Crazy yeah. train. Those albums, mm-hmm. those first two albums, I mean, Ozzy rose from the dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. He was, his his career was, if he would have come out today, career would have been done. Career would have, he would have Kelsey. never had his solo career. Never. But it says something about the power of his it factor. Mm-hmm. Ozzy has it. You know, there, oh, there's, this thing, there's another thing, too, that's missing, I think, in these artists, the it factor. I mean, it, it, there's Great. just nothing... You know, the here today, gone later today. I mean, Steve Lukather said it a couple of years ago. He called, he called music today uh, McDrive music. He said <laughs> so people true. buy like their extra large French fry. And that's mm-hmm. how they listen to their streaming. By the time you get out of the parking lot and hit the first stoplight, you've already eaten the box of fries. And then you're fumbling with the, st- the box to open up the, the triple quarter pounder with cheese. And by the time you get to your destination, you've forgotten what you've eaten. Right. And you're licking your fingers and then you're, it's just like music. There's no, you know, it's like people are thinking about so many different things. They're not mm-hmm. listening to the levee breaks or going to California. They're not waiting for that sound of, that Jimmy Page would come up with. Those right. little guitar colors that every time you listen to a Zeppelin album, you go, I never heard that before. That's pretty cool what he put there. Mm-hmm. Your yeah, ear and, gets more trained. You, 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 know what's, you know what's interesting is... If you look just at raw numbers of what is super popular today, it's kind of the same as it was in the 80s. Not not musically, not at all musically, but in the sense that it's the stuff that doesn't sound homogenized. Yeah. Like, like we were, as an example, just on the show last week, we were talking about Billie Eilish. And yeah. we pulled up her big hit, that bad guy song. Yeah. And it has, between YouTube and Spotify... It has 5 billion with a B plays. Just ridiculous numbers of play. 5 billion plays. And the first thing that came into my mind was she doesn't sound like every other pop artist. You know, she sounds different. She sounds like she's asleep to me, but she sounds different. And it's selling because it sounds different. Well, that's it. She has that it factor that mm-hmm. hasn't been heard in in the female singer world maybe since Madonna, the early Madonna. You, you know, know who, grabbed me, who really grabbed me and, and then Sammy Hager, I watched an interview with him. I think it's his birthday today. Yeah. They were talking to him a few days ago and they go, who does it for you? And he said, you know, I had a little old band from Southern California open for me called Rival Sons. Oh, yeah. He goes, Let me tell you, son, that singer has some got something. He goes. Mm-hmm. Not my, not many singers get me excited. He goes, but I I watched every show they did with me, and he goes, keep your eye on Rival Sons. That's a band I like. Yeah, I like good. Uh, the Honey. What are they called? Uh, Dirty Honey. Dirty Honey. Yeah, I like them. very I good like band. Them. I've been on a real, uh, and this is crazy. I've been on a real Tom Petty trip in the last right. couple of years. Uh, this Wildfires uh, re-release of stuff he didn't put mm-hmm. out. It's supposed to be a double album, but he didn't do that. 
And I found out with Tom Petty that he could say more with three words than you that I can do with 20. He could say, <laughs> right. you know, you got lucky <laughs> when I found you, you know, right. you know, break down. I mean, the guy just had this genius, of, you know, and he stole from the birds. He stole from Dylan. He took, but he put something in there that worked, you know? So that's where I'm at. I mean, it, these new artists, I mean, the Arrival Sun's been around for a few years. Sure, they've been playing California clubs, and then they finally got a break. But uh, this, these people, like you're talking about, this girl, you know, five billion. I mean, that's like the yeah, continent of India, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. It's it's, but but I'll bet you that ten years from now she's not going to be around. Mm-mm. No, you know, not like Paul McCartney. No, not not at all. I mean. I mean, if we're going by numbers, and this is a big difference by not owning a product. If you don't own a product, you have no connection or loyalty to it. None. You're just watching it, you know. And yeah. we, uh, if you want to just go number of plays, that Gungan-style song had a billion plays. It was the first song ever to have a billion plays. What yeah. happened to that guy? He's long gone. Yeah. He's, you know, he, he's, I don't even know where he's at. Yeah, nobody's heard from him since that song. It's and crazy. that was and that was the first ever song to have a billion plays. Yeah. So you know, yeah, that's funny. Was, bands like like Zeppelin and all that stuff. People are going before I die. Please regroup and play with Jason on drums. Do a yeah. tour. You know, I mean that says something. When the guys are in their late seventies and pushing eighty, sure. and they're going, just I would pay to see it. Okay. Sure. <laughs> just to say, I've already seen Zeppelin back in the seventies, but just, you know, one more time, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's a legacy. Paul McCartney. I never got to see live. I, I, I missed his ticket in Cologne by about 10 seconds, sold out in like five minutes. Right. Uh, I mean, I really wanted to see Paul McCartney in wings. I mean, these are the guys that really, I mean, I'm a huge Steely Dan fan as well. Sure. I mean, you listen to those records. I don't care. We talk about production. Oh yeah, holy crap! <laughs> and the detail that they put into that, and the number of great artists that sang on those records that I wasn't aware of, like Don Henley and uh, Glenn Fry and Timothy B. Schmidt. I mean, just insane mm-hmm. production. You know, the guy Cats that produced that stuff. Sure. I mean, you listen to that that music, and it's just mind blowing. And there's there's hooks, and it's pop. But sure. it's also jazz and it's hard rock and it's dark and it's, I mean, they there are certain bands that just have a sound, yeah. And right. that's, I hope before I croak that somebody says, Reese had a vibe. You know, I know that's Dave Reese singing. <laughs> well, I'll say that as I said at the Thank beginning. But, I mean, that's really I, all. I mean, I'm not going to get rich doing this, but I do sure. it because I love it. And if somebody just says, you know what, that's Reese, he could sing, and, uh-huh. and it was some great records that he made. That's well, enough for it, me. And without kissing your ass, I like the fact that you're doing it without bands now. You know, I mean, Bonfire and Tango Down and whatever. Okay. You know, those those are okay. But I, I personally find the stuff that you're doing where you're making all the decisions to be more heartfelt and more pure, I guess. Yeah, you know, I was, I got, I got to, I look at it two ways. You know, it's, it's survival. Sure. You know, and nobody gave a shit after I, I disappeared for nine years. Then I came back and everybody and their brother wanted me to sing on their album, which is cool. So I did the bad thing, I guess, in a way, by jumping on and doing all those multiple projects. But then at the same time, I had to eat. And then it kind of opened the door and led me down this road to where I am now. So it's a good thing in a way. There's a payoff from it. But all those bands, I mean, if we're going to get into it now, I'm going to tell you, you want to hear about what I'm up to besides this? Sure, Absolutely. During this whole COVID thing, uh, I did kind of go back to doing some projects which okay. out of a necessity. So the band out of Bulgaria called John Steele, Doogie White did one of their albums. Blaze Bailey did one. I did one. Okay. Great guys. I go over there once in a while and play some festivals with them. Really super cool guys. And it's it's a progressive metal record, which is really good. Sure. So I did that. And then I've done you know a lot of session work for different artists like Taz Taylor Christian Bettendorf, Stefan Georg, a bunch of guys around Germany and Canada and Australia have called me and said, hey, can you sing a song? How much? Blah, blah. Yeah. Keeps my voice in shape. Sure. Puts things on the table, blah, blah, blah. But the cool thing that happened at all of this was Jimmy Waldo is on my album. He co-wrote a couple tracks with me, you know, from Alcatraz. Alcatraz, right. 
And I don't know. Do you know who Steve Rosen is? I do not. Steve he Rosen. is. If you go to YouTube, Steve Rosen used to interview. I think he worked for Guitar World magazine. He was the editor of that magazine, interviewed everybody, every guitar okay. player from the beginning, you, you name it, Eddie, Billy Gibbons, Brian May, all of them. And what he said was during that period, I'll give you the cover if you play a, an album, if I ever make one. Yeah. Okay, sure, Mike. And they always say yes to get on the cover. <laughs> right. And he also wrote for Rolling Stone. Okay. So you go to YouTube and you can find Steve Rosen and his interviews with all these great guitar players. Well, Jimmy contacted me through my manager and said, hey, Steve's ready to do a record. We're going to call in the, the artillery. And I go, what does that mean? And I need you to write, uh, I think there's 11 tracks on the album. We did two Blackthorn songs because Bob Kulik had just passed away. Sure. And they wanted me to re-sing the uh, Grand Bonnet stuff. So I did that. But I wrote nine vocal tracks with Steve and uh, Waldo. Okay. And then, uh, they brought in the artillery, meaning... Bumblefoot, Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, wow. Paul Gilbert, you name it. It's a cornucopia of the greats, which I'm like, I'm in the room of royalty with guitar players <laughs> right. that are playing on my songs. Right. And that's called, the band is called, it's a project band called the Highway Sentinels. It was going to be, now that name, I'll get to that. Highway Sentinels was in my head that if I could put together the perfect metal band, what would it okay. be? Right. I need a name. So I had it in my head, Highway Sentinels. Well, during that time, guess who calls me? Herman Frank from Accept. Okay, yeah. Out of the blue, Herman Frank. Now, here's a guy that I played in the same band as he did. Sure. We've done festivals, and I said, I get to meet this Herman Frank guy finally. We would miss each other by minutes, and we never physically met. Okay. But we connected, you know, because of this crazy octopus of music. Right. So he says to me, Hey, we should do a, a project together, do a record together. And I said, Herman, that's a great idea. Sure. I got a band name. It's called Highway Sentinels. He goes, hate it. <laughs> Let's get more metal. So we ended up coming up with Iron Allies. Right. And now we've got like 22 songs recorded. We're shopping labels right now and everybody's going, yeah. And I said earlier, I don't want to be in a band. Right. But if I'm going to be in a band... It's with Herman Frank, Donnie Bonstaven from Riot, and Francesco Giovino, who played on my solo album, Black Blue Utopia on drums, right. which will actually, with these promoters, because they're all thinking, like you said, homogenized. Mm -hmm. If you, the more well known faces you got on stage playing together, sure. the more punters are going to come to the show. Right. So, sure. with our history, we can do Accept, we can do Iron Allies, we can do Riot, we can do all this stuff, right? Right. And the music we're writing together is killer. I mean, cool. Herman Frank is another one like Andy. He's one of those guys that never got his due. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love his guitar playing. And, yeah, I uh, mean, his stuff, whether it's his Herman Frank stuff, though he put one out last year, and and or what was the other one, Panzer, which yeah. was fantastic. I mean, yeah. obviously the Accept stuff is good too. So, you know, yeah, Herman is great. Yeah, we just, I was on the phone with him for two hours tonight. We're talking about a deal we were offered uh, for this new album. And uh, that's coming out sometime next year. Just like Highway Sentinels will come out early next year. The the John Steele stuff is coming out. I don't know when, because it, there's a backlog because of this pandemic crap. But uh, I was pretty lucky to be offered these situations just of survival, you know, and I took it. Right, sure. Because, I mean, I'm an American living in Italy, and I, I have a work visa, but being that I speak about 50% of the language, it makes it real difficult for me to get a normal job here. So I can go to Scandinavia and work all day long because everybody speaks English more than their own language. Right. So that's why I was up there, just so I could feed my family and sure. you know, take care of the house. That's what I'm doing. You're busy, man, which is, you know, in, in the end of the pandemic, or I don't even want to say the end, but... Wherever we're at at the pandemic right now, that's a that's a good place to be to have releases coming up and a release out now and uh, or two weeks and you know I'm I'm assuming you're going to go out on the road at least somewhat and try and play well, these I, things I, if you I, can. I, well, I had October in Norway that just got pulled off from under me, and I had uh, Spain in November that just got pulled off from me. Everything's been pushed to next year. Sure, uh, that's happened like twice now three times, but 
uh, right now, nothing the rest of the year. So I'm just writing songs and keeping the voice in shape and working sure. out and, and trying to eat right and not, I mean, I gave up alcohol three years ago, so that was the best thing I ever did. Um, I, I'm a new person. Maybe that's what you hear in my in my music. I don't know because I was I had to have a drink when I woke up for 30 years, but now I'm I'm sober and I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to let all this get to me. I mean, I refuse to to uh, fall to pieces over this. I mean, I'm just going to forge ahead. That's it. That's all you can do, man. I mean, I mean, everybody that's panicking and. The world is over and blah, blah, blah. You know, that doesn't fix it. So why do it? You know, just kind of ride you know it what? out. If, dude, if we're all going to be vaporized, what are we going to do about it anyways? Like <laughs> exactly. we're gonna run. I don't have a lead container I can crawl on the ground and hide in for 10 years. Exactly right, man. <laughs> I'll just stand with my arms out going, come on, man. Like on Forrest Gump when he was riding the ship, you know, right. <laughs> Lieutenant Dan, come on, you know. <laughs> Let's go. Exactly. This is how it's got to end. Let's do it big. Exactly, man. Well, dude, you've definitely done it big here. The new release, Blacklist Utopia. It is David Reese. It's out on October the 29th, I believe, everywhere. And um, no parental records. And and where should I tell people to go to keep up with you, man? Oh, David Reese official Facebook. Um, You know, if you do buy the CD. I'm asking all my friends and fans that, that have bought it to do a short video and post it on my page. Because okay. last year I did Rock and Roll Family holding it up when they got it. Sure. But I think it's more personalized. They say, hey, I just got this. I just And in a good or bad review, whatever you got, just tell the folks and where you got it from. Sure. You know, we got it. I think there's this whole uh, shipment and unloading thing going on. Right. Like they're in America, mm-hmm. which is freaking me out a little bit, which I'm powerless over. But it seems like the mail is moving pretty quick. But if anything on a boat, I don't think I'm going to get it. But I think, you know, everything's flown with Amazon. Right. All that stuff. But, but, you know, yeah, keep buying physical. I support the bands that are out there doing it. I share a lot of bands that I like. I mean, I'm always trying to help my friends. You know, they share me. Just go to David Reese and, and, and tell me what you're thinking. Fair enough. All right. One more time, David. It is called Blacklist Utopia. It is the new right. release from David Reese. And, David, once again, man, it's always great to talk to you here on a classic metal show. Dude, you're you're a great interviewer, man. God bless you, brother. And I'm glad you're back on your feet. I'm sorry you were sick. Fantastic (laughs) interview. Thanks, man. Thanks for checking out this episode of The Classic Metal Show. Get all of our episodes uncensored at www.theclassicmetalshow.com. Join us weekly from 9 p.m. till 3 a.m. Eastern at www.cmsradio.net. Participate in the live chat room at www.chatandkill.com. Once again, thank you for checking out The Classic Metal Show with Neely and Chris. Hail and kill. Fuck you, pal. Hey!